if you turn with me to Second uh, Samuel twelve twenty one, I'm going to start reading there. Although our scripture is going to be based out of Philippians four, four. Uh, while you guys are turning there, I'm going to open in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank you this morning. We just want to wish you a happy Father's Day, Lord. Father, we thank you for being our Father as adopted sons into the kingdom of heaven. Father, I just thank you this morning for the Word of God, which brings truth and which brings life and which brings healing. Father, I ask that it be your words that I speak this morning and not my own. Father, I thank you for this message and that it will bring joy to those that hear it. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. All right, we all in Second Samuel? Okay, I'm going to read First Philippians 4, 4 first, and then I'm going to catch up with you guys in Second Samuel. First, uh, Philippians 4, 4 basically says, Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. It's kind of an interesting story of how I got to studying this scripture. I don't know, most of you know that uh, friends of ours earlier this year had their granddaughter pass away at the age of five. My mother was also in the hospital with complications due to leukemia around the same time. And my father-in-law passed away last year. So it's been a rough couple of years for us. The camel, or the straw that broke the camel's back was McKenna dying this year. As we began to question God's infinite wisdom in taking McKenna, it gave us pause for thought. What are we to learn from this, Lord? What, what, what do we do wrong? What, what can we be taught? Is our faith real? We were at men's Bible study one morning and we were reading a uh, scripture and, and it almost gave the command that we're to walk in joy. And I can't remember the scripture, but that scripture led me on, well, what does the Bible have to say about joy? And so that's how we come to be in Second Samuel, uh, verse 15. It says, Then Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground, so that the elders of the house arose and went to him and raised him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do us some harm. So here we have a situation, and I failed to mention that I also believe that the church, our local church as a body, has been going through some heavy attacks 
there have been things going on uh, with every each and every member, I believe, here that have robbed us of our joy. In fact, in researching and studying for this this morning, last night, and transcribing my notes, I felt impressed and uh, we almost changed and I just was going to ask Pastor if we could just spend this morning, instead of me teaching us, just standing and praising and worshiping God. Because I believe that through worship and praise, that our joy is going to break forth. And I believe the joy is coming to this church, to this local body. I believe it's time for us to start walking in the commandment of God, which is the joy of God. But I decided to go ahead and, and bring some of the Word to you because I, bring, I believe that the Word brings life and maybe we can schedule a special session at some time where the church can come together and we can praise and worship as a body. Because I believe that in corporate praise and worship, it's got to be that much better than, than single praise and worship. Amen? It says, uh, in verse 19, When David saw that his servants were whispering to David, they perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me? that the child may live, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. This scripture brought some comfort to me. Not only on a personal level, but as a corporate level. Because I believe that through praise and worship, like I said earlier, that we're going to bring back that strength, the joy of the Lord that's in us. Now, my message this morning is not to bring condemnation. There is no guilt in, in my message this morning. But I do want to point out something here. If you read the backstory and what's going on here, David sinned. David blew it big time. There was a separation between him and God. There was a judgment for his actions. That action, that judgment happened to be the death of his child. I don't know if sin was the reason for McKenna's passing on. It's not really important at this this point in time. Uh, it's, it, this is only a side note. So if you're experience, not experiencing joy, it may be something that you need to look into your life. Is there sin separating you from God? When they went to him, when he was mourning because of the impending death of his child, he's a king. <laughs> you walk in and you find this guy laying on the floor, and he's just, I can imagine, he's wailing. I mean, what are you, what are you going to do? I mean, you're trying to get the guy up to eat, and you're comforting him, and nothing you can do can bring comfort to this guy. There's nothing. And, and you got to be kind of careful because the king, when you approach him, I mean, he might just get upset and have your head cut off for no reason. I mean, so you, you got to 
Imagine the turmoil that the people that were trying to comfort him were going through. I can also understand that because the friends of ours are going through turmoil and it seems that our comfort is to, is to no avail to them. So that's something that I understand and that I can relate to in this scripture. But there's good news. As he goes on, he says that when the child died, what was the first thing that David did? He washed and anointed himself. He changed his clothes and went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. That's going to become kind of an important and a kind of a theme throughout the message this morning is, is that David physically changed his appearance. He had been mourning and he looked probably like it. Uh, customs in those days during mourning was uh, sackcloth. I mean, you looked a wreck during those days. And if you weren't eating, uh, you know how it can be when, when you haven't eaten, you just, I mean, you, you look hungry, you look upset, you look a mess, you haven't washed, you haven't, I mean, your breath is probably stinking and you got a little body odor going on and, you know, you just, you don't want it because you don't want to do anything because, um, of the depression that, that is set in and, and the, the mourning that's going on. So, in that, we can go back now to Philippians 4, verse 4. That's what brought me to this scripture today. Philippians 4, verse Chapter 4, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I have four points to make this morning. And you have to forgive me again because this is a different way of me teaching. I'm used to telling grand stories and applying them to biblical principles. This morning I'm going to be focusing on one verse uh, and four points on that one verse. To rejoice in the Lord is a delightful thing. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon wrote, There is a marvelous, marvelous medicinal power in joy. Most medicines are distasteful. But this, which is the best of all medicines, is sweet to the taste and comforting to the heart. I found that exhilarating. Because when you think of something that heals you, you think of you got to go through the pain to get better. But he says here that this is a marvelous medicinal power in the joy of the Lord. One of the things, the other things that I wanted to do was I just wanted to read C.H. Spurgeon's message to you this morning and forget doing all the studying because as I went through some of uh, his sermons, he so eloquently put what I am attempting to teach you this morning. And I find that his writing, and I was speaking with Pastor and my son earlier about this this week, is that we just don't write in those ways anymore. So um, I'm trusting in God that what I'm saying will come across in a poignant manner and, and you guys will comprehend it this morning. We have here a command from the Lord, and this is point one, that it is a command. To rejoice in the Lord is a delightful thing. We should always be joyful. At the base of it, 
we are saved from eternal damnation. We are saved from eternal separation from God. That in itself is enough to cause us, or should cause us, to stand up and jump and shout for joy because we are going to spend eternity with our Father. And happy Father's Day to all the fathers here, by the way. Uh, as I was praying this morning, I mentioned that God our Father, and I am always overjoyed in seeing my son and my children and my grandchildren when they come and visit me. Uh, so how much more, I mean, I think God enjoys our praise and our worship. The other thing that is why it's delightful is that God so loved the world. We have a gift. We have a gift in Jesus Christ. So on those two points alone, we probably could spend the rest of the day having reasons to rejoice in the Lord. I find that from this verse, you cannot be too joyful. Because it's a simple command here, is to rejoice. Rejoice meaning to show or to feel joy. The interesting thing here is, is it doesn't say to rejoice if you're feeling okay. It doesn't say to rejoice if things in your life are going fine. It just says to rejoice. And I don't know about you, but in my renewed mind, I can never be around somebody that is too happy. There just seems to be something infectious about being around somebody that's happy. Now, in my unrenewed mind, I get around people and they're happy and, they're, and I'm like, what is there to be happy about today? I mean, just get away from me. I don't want to, I don't want to be like you. And I, you don't need to turn there. If I can find the scripture. Uh, in Jonah, he talks about Jonah and the whale. Very familiar children's Bible passage that we uh, all know too well. Or maybe we don't know well enough. Jonah was commanded to go to Nineveh and to preach the gospel. Well, Jonah, and I find this a lot like me, especially in the last eight or nine years or so, doesn't want to do what God wants him to do because he doesn't like the outcome of what will happen when he does what he does. And that just... It's foreign. <laughs> it's, it's kind of weird because you know that God only wants good for you, but uh, Jonah didn't want the outcome that God was going to give. We'll pick up the story in the middle in Jonah 2. It says, And then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And he said, Have you ever feel like you're in the fish's belly? <laughs> I mean, just things are just, they couldn't get any worse, could they? You've been swallowed by a fish, been swallowed by your problems, by what's going on around you, and that's all you can think about. The rot gut that's going on there, you know, just it's got to be uncomfortable, unmiserable, got to stink there. Uh, no light. I mean, cause you're in the, and you're in total darkness. Um, and as humans, that's one of the things that humans fear the most is the lack of contact. Uh, they've, I've seen studies done where that's 
you know, he told, uh, touch deprivation can actually drive people crazy. So he's in a situation here that's going to drive him crazy. I know none of you guys have ever felt that way, huh? It's interesting what Jonah does here. He's in rebellion. He's in disobedience to God. All of a sudden, he has a moment. He says, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. And who is the he? God. God answered him. So it's kind of interesting that even though he's in rebellion, as soon as he cried out to God, God answered him. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward the holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Can't imagine it all that kind of... I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought me up, brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you, and this is, catch this part, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will pay what I have vowed, salvation to the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and he vomited Jonah into dry land. I don't know how about you, but I can't imagine being vomited by a fish being a good day. <laughs> but that was a good day for Jonah. He was no longer in, in total darkness, despair. And it's interesting that if you see, he said with a voice of thanksgiving, I will pay what I have vowed, salvation is of the Lord. So that seems to be kind of a common thing here about bringing us out of our misery. And that's thanksgiving and worship to God. I'm going to continue here. In chapter 3, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly a great city, a three-day journey to in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. So the city is so big that he's got to walk three days to get through it. So he's on his first day walking through. He's telling them, it says, he cried out, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's like, basically, you guys need to get your act together. You guys are in rebellion to God, which is kind of interesting seeing how he himself was in rebellion to God. You need to change your act. You need to get it together. You need to repent and turn to God. So he did this for three days because he went across the whole city doing this. In verse 5 it says, So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came from the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his noble saying, that neither man nor beast Herd nor flock, taste anything, do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let every one turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. 
Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away his fierce anger so that we may not perish? When God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So we have a couple of interesting things here. And the first of all, Nineveh was just, they did not know God. But when they heard the word of God, they turned from their evil ways and accepted what God had for them. They began to worship God. And He saved them. The second thing is, is that even though Jonah was in rebellion, and he was in rebellion because his heart did not line up with what God wanted him to do. Jonah wanted to do what he wanted to do. And I know I'm probably the most guilty person in here. I'm always wanting to do what Todd wants to do, not what God wants to do. Because it's so much easier Todd's way. But I find out I also get in a lot more trouble Todd's way than in God's way. Much like Jonah. This And this is just a little discourse. This is the opposite of the happy person. In verse 4 it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. I, I can't believe so much hate that he had for these people that he was angry that God saved them. The Bible says in Luke 15.10 tells us that angels, angels rejoice over the repentance of one sinner. Can you, can you believe the party that was going on in heaven uh, as we see over there over the great multitude of what was going on in Nineveh? It says, so he prayed to the Lord, Ah, oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Basically, he's complaining to God now. He says, God, this is why I didn't want to do what you wanted me to do because I knew you were going to save him and I didn't want that to happen. Well, it's a good thing that God got his way and not Jonah because uh, the city of Nineveh would have been destroyed. It says, therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is... I, I'm going to have to talk to Jonah one of these days. What were you thinking? What were you thinking? This man hated Nineveh so much that rather than be joyous in the fact that God saved a city because he hated them so much he was going to sit there and pout all day long. I, I just, I'm going to ask him, brother, what were you thinking? <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. Yeah, so Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what became of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned, the next day God prepared a worm and so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, It is right for you to be angry about the plant. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. There's something I think that's at least, there's some hope here because he's still talking to God. 
He's complaining to God, but he's still talking to God. He says, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? God is answering Jonah and asking that. And he said, it is right for me to be angry, even to the death. He says, That's a, that was a good plant. The, the plant had no reason to be killed. I mean, it didn't do anything to anybody. And I know Jonah hadn't been reading his Bible because you know that you shouldn't try to uh, mix words with God because then God says, but the Lord says, you have pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? So God used the plant as the point. He says, look, you're, you have pity on this plant that you did nothing. You had no investment in this plant. But these are human beings. I mean, their choice is worship God and serve God or be eternally separated from God. And Jonah was upset that they were going to be spending time with God and not be eternally separated from them because he hated them so much. But he had pity on the plant. So God's point here was, this is why I took pity on these people. This is because they didn't know. They, I mean, they, they, without the Word of God coming to them, they would have been lost. And so God wanted to give them the opportunity to be saved. Now, we went through this and that this is, this is the opposite of a person that's very happy. Very happy is somebody that you like to be around. The grumpy person is somebody that you don't like to be around. And I know that when you're wallowing in your situation, you tend to not care what other people think. And when you start thinking that way is when you start being the type of person you don't want to be around. You're not feeling, following the command. Rejoice. The world loves misery. Just like Jonah, they, want, they, they rejoice in destruction. You read the papers. What sells papers? Bad news. Bad news sells papers. You look at the news and you find out there's been a murder, there's you know something terrible that's happening, something terrible about to happen someplace in the world. But the Bible tells us in Romans twelve two, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we're not to be like the world, we're not to be excited about all those bad things that are happening. And no one really, I think, wakes up in the morning and says, let me find out what terrible is going on in the world and let me revel in that. But I think what happens is is that we see that there's misery in other people's lives going on and we feel a little bit better about ourselves. And that's the world's way of making themselves feel better. That's not God's way. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As a Christian people... We're just other people that have repented, been called by God. It's a very simple way of putting it. The Greek word for repentance here carries with it the connotation of a change of mind. So you need to be transformed by the renewal of your mind to not be like the world. So being in a state of unjoy, take it how you you know want to take it, but I think that's against the commandments of God 
here to not be joyful. The rejoicing is a demonstrative duty because it's for your benefit. Joy is like a candle when you light it. When you light it in a dark room, you don't need a trumpet announcing, here comes the light. No, you don't need to do that. Once you light the candle or you turn on a light, darkness flees from it. That is the way it is to be joyful for the Christian. Matthew 6, 16 and 17 says, When you're fasting, to wash your face. Anoint your hell. Get up in the morning. Don't stink. Brush your teeth. Look like you're not fasting. Because I know some people that can be pretty grumpy when they're fasting. But the Bible commands us, don't be showing people that you're grumpy. Show them the joyous side of Christianity. Because for those that worship and fast in secret will be rewarded by God in the open. Isaiah 61.10, and this is just another reason for us to be joyful. And I think this scripture was mentioned this morning. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. What the reader is saying here is, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to show the best of what God has. And in doing this, I believe that we are in line with this commandment to rejoice. We were singing this morning, and every song that we sang was a reason for us to rejoice in the Lord. (laughs) I, there's just, I can't think of reasons not to rejoice in the Lord unless you're Jonah. Um, my second point here is, is the sphere of this joy. The scripture says to rejoice in the Lord. And let me get it because I'm going to butcher it. Rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. In Ephesians, children are commanded to obey their parents in the Lord. The scripture talks about being married in the Lord. And here we're commanded to rejoice in the Lord. As a Christian, our duty is to be continually in the Lord. I notice that when I'm down in the dumps and I'm feeling depression, I'm feeling anxiety, I have you know worries and cares, that's when I'm starting to separate from God. As a Christian, we're to rejoice, but we're to rejoice in the Lord. So we shouldn't stray very far from being in the Lord. Our true rejoicing comes in the Lord. This sphere of this joy, we should also not seek joy outside of the Lord. It's very easy. I'm an example. 
when I was on a career path, I found that the more that I worked, the better things happened to me, the happier I was. So there was joy in my life based on my career. I was advancing, I was getting praise from men, I was doing all these wonderful things according to man. But when it ended, guess what happened? My joy ended. Men can find joy in their careers and their accomplishment and their trophies and being good at sports. And these are generalizations, so I hope that you don't pin me down afterwards and saying that was, you know, sexist or whatever. These are generalizations. Uh, women can also find joy in career accomplishment trophies and sports. Women, in my experience, find joy in being a helpmate. Their joy is often attached to their mate and how well their mate is doing. And once their mate is no longer doing well, there's no longer any joy in that. So finding joy in your mate and other things outside of the Lord is not what we as Christians are to do. The object of our joy should be God. We cannot have too much joy in the Lord. Psalms 37. Verse 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. A little bit later on, we're going to talk about your desires lining up with what God wants. Because as we saw with Jonah, what he wanted and what God wanted were two different things, and he was a very unhappy person. But there's hope here in this scripture, and it says, He shall give you the desires of your heart if you commit your way to the Lord, and trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Psalms 43.4 says, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. When you're finding joy in other things outside of God, they can end, they can change, they can be something that you want, want to do. Uh, many of us as younger persons wanted to be something when we grew up. And as age and experience and time went on, we decided that we didn't want to be that thing that we were when we were little. So that it is with us as humans. Things change. And if we're finding joy in something that is not of God, it can change and it can end our joy. If the Lord is your joy, it will never dry up. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is joy at your right hands our pleasures forevermore. Amen? My third point here is, is the time commanded. When did he tell us to rejoice? He said to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You are to rejoice when there is nothing else to rejoice in but God himself. At the beginning, we gave some examples of what there is to be you know, joyful about. That is, that Christ is our gift. If you can't find anything else to be joyful 
we can at least be joyful in the comfort of this, is that we have a gift from God, eternal life. We are not going to be eternally separated from God. We are not going to spend eternity in hell. If you're not rejoicing in the Lord, start now. Nothing we can do to change the past. But the commandment is to rejoice in the Lord now. Some interesting things about what the verse does not say. It says, it does not say to rejoice in the Lord if you're feeling like it. It doesn't say to rejoice in the Lord if circumstance warrant being joyful. It says to rejoice in the Lord always. So that would mean that you need to start now. And I hope that I've given you some things to think about, or some reasons to be joyful this morning so that you can start rejoicing now. And I'm hoping that when we conclude and we spend some time together that we can put together some reasons to rejoice for this week. We need to rejoice when we are alone. First Thessalonians 5.16 tells us again to rejoice always. So we need to rejoice when we're alone. I find for me that this is probably one of the best times to rejoice because I'm a man. I don't want people to see me jumping up and down and unless I'm watching sports for some reason. I don't know why. But and, but unless that, I, you know, it's as a man, it's hard for me to see other people. And the interesting thing about joy is, is that I find myself crying in joy in the Lord when I'm by myself. And this is something that, as a man, I find perplexing because why am I crying? And I don't have an answer for everybody here today. I'm just explaining to you what is. I find myself, by myself, just talking to God and reveling in the closeness that we feel, or that I feel, and, and being alone with God, being in His presence. You know, Lord, why are you so good to me? And it brings tears to my eyes. You know, why have you done this? Why have you done that? I can question God and I can feel peace. But the, the other thing about this is that when we're rejoicing Lord always, we need to rejoice when we're in company. One of the best things that I find about coming to this, this local body and that was totally foreign to me before coming here, is, is that we share the Lord's Supper in such a unique way compared to most American churches that it's a joyful time for me. I have been in leadership in churches where I was involved in serving the church, the elements, and it was always such a somber, such a uh, processional type of time. It was kind of you got to a point where you kind of fret it because you had to go through these steps to get to where you needed to be. But here at this church, we celebrate the supper where there's joy in the supper here. I look forward to coming to church, to getting to the afternoon to spend time with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and sharing and remembering what God had done for us. And so the as the Scripture commands us to rejoice in the Lord always, it is something that I look forward to from Monday to getting to next Sunday is rejoicing with the, our brothers and sisters.
And I praise God that he has shown me a joyous way to receive communion. And my first point here is, is that there is an emphasis laid on this command. Paul didn't just say, rejoice in the Lord, always, and then go on from there. He says, again, there was an emphasis, a point added to this. There was a reason that he was saying this. Part of me believes that he may have been preaching to himself, because at the time of this writing, Paul was in prison. And I don't know how many of you rejoice when you go to prison. I don't think it would be something that I would be joyful about. Uh, read you something here real quick about Paul's condition. This epistle was written by Paul when he was in prison with iron fetters about his wrists, yet there is no iron in the epistle. It is full of light, life, love, and joy, blended with traces of sorrow, yet with a holy delight that rises above his grief. I believe that this is what happens when you come to rejoicing in the Lord. If you don't know what's going on in this this letter, you think that I would have actually bookmarked this pause. Uh, Paul is writing to the Philippians, and Paul had been out evangelizing. The Philippians were the only ones that had sent Paul aid. So Paul was had a vested interest in them being happy. I mean, even from a secular view, because as long as they were happy, there was hope that Paul was going to continue to get support. <laughs> he wasn't getting from any of the other churches. So he's like, hey, Philippians, you need to rejoice in the Lord, because you're the only ones that are going to receive blessings from God for giving into my ministry, the ministry that Jesus has given me. And likewise, God wants His people to be a joyful people. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, I think, it says, The joy of the Lord is my strength. Nehemiah is not really one of those books that I have in the past spent a lot of time studying. Just kind of a expose on what happened to the, the children of Israel and the return. But in studying that verse... I come to find out that they're returning to Israel at this time after being in captive, and they're learning the Word of God all over again. How joyful it is for us as Christians to wake up every day to renew our minds to learn the Word of God from a fresh perspective. We need to push away the old and let God deliver to us the Word of God. Let Him, as you're meditating, let Him deliver the word, His Word to you. Something that they did at the end of teaching is that they told everybody to go out, go home and have a feast. I love the Israelites, man. They're always partying. <laughs> they always had a reason to be joyful. Uh, it was a, a celebration uh, that they were, that it was a, an annual celebration that they were celebrating here and they were told to go home and to be joyful and to, and to uh, feast in honor of God. And at the end of 
Nehemiah explaining what's going on here. It says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And that leads me to believe that studying the Word of God and being with other believers brings about the joy of the Lord. So, again, I'd like to reiterate that I'm very thankful to be able to come here and have communion with fellow believers and to be joyful about that. And I, I, I'd like to, I'm thankful that God brought us here and showed us this facet of actually having communion. I did forget one thing, maybe two, and I'll make them real quick because I know I'm running out of time and I was concerned that I wasn't going to fill the time. This is that we need to be careful in our rejoicing that we're not rejoicing in the great success of our works of God. Jesus warns His disciples in Luke 10.17, they had just returned from witnessing. They're like, can you believe it? Even the demons are subject to us in your name. I, I, I would get pretty excited about that too. And Jesus tells them, whoa, slow down, wait a minute. That may be a good thing, but don't get excited about that. You need to be excited about the fact that your name is written in the book of life. I find, and especially there have been times in my life, that just like work, the work of the ministry was something that I did that gave me pleasure, and it made me feel good about myself. It gave me the joy. That was the wrong thing to be doing. I needed to be rejoicing in what in God and not in the works of God. And with that, you don't need to be rejoicing in great works outside of God, especially with that. And I just wanted to make those two points just to be able to sum up everything else. Paul knows it's difficult here when he writes this, and so he is stressing it even more as a command of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, be on guard. Be watchful for this. I'm reminding you. I don't know if I can shake you enough, but you need to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice in the Lord. After all this, this commandment, I think that Paul leaves us with a prescription of how to do what he's asked. Verse 4 says, to Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Verse 5 says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Some translations and some commentators put forbearance in there, I believe, instead of gentleness. And uh, one commentator said that he actually prefers Forbearance. Now, forbearance means to be patient, show self-control and restraint, and tolerance. I like the lawful definition of it, of forbearance, and that is is that it is not forbearance. You do not enforce something that, even though it is a right, like in a debt. So even though somebody owes you something, if you're forbearing, you don't enforce what is coming to you. Now, how does that apply to being joyful? Well, I had a chance to practice that. 
Saturday night, we went out with some friends, sat down for dinner, explaining where I parked and complaining about how much I paid for it. And my wife spoke up and said something to me. Now, when she said this to me, I felt belittled. I felt it was rude. I felt anger because why would she do this to me? A wide range of emotions and none of them were good. And I believed that I had every right to react with her the way that I did. And it was not nice. I have since apologized to my wife. I'm sorry, honey. I've asked God for forgiveness. But forbearance in that situation would be that I would respond in the love of God and not repay her debt that she gave to me, which was the way I believed that she responded to me. And that is the way Christians should be, is, is that we should be patient in showing the love of God. And I find it very interesting that I got all of that out of one word, out of one scripture here. It says, but let your forbearance or your patience, your control, acting the same in all situations, be known to all men, the Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Now, I believe that what Paul is telling us here is how to be joyful and how we can rejoice. And that is as one, is don't be anxious. I'd like to remind you of what I talked about earlier about being conformed to this world. The world is anxious about what's going on, what's going to happen, because there is no hope for the world. Paul commands us not to be anxious here. Matthew 6, I believe it is, tells us to seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things shall be added unto you, because you can't worry your way into health or prosperity or into putting a roof over your head. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your minds through Christ. And I believe that's what happens to me when I'm in my alone time with God. It is the peace of God that comes upon me that causes me to be able to weep with joyful tears in the presence of God. It helps to renew me for the next day that comes, even though... I falter once in a while. In verse 80 it says, Finally, and I believe that this is the continuing the recipe for how to be joyful, how to rejoice in the Lord always, and to again rejoice. In verse 80 it says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. He's telling us, don't be worrying about rent tomorrow. God is our provider. You don't need to worry about the healing. God's either going to heal you or He's not going to heal you. Either way, you're going to end up with God and you're going to end up with Christ. It's a temporal thing. Temporary thing. doesn't matter if you're going to get that promotion tomorrow. Because that's not the important thing. 
Rejoicing in the Lord is the important thing. He tells us to meditate on these things. I find that if I'm anxious and I'm worrying about something, I'm not meditating on the good things. I find that as I start to... One thing... I can imagine why Jesus said, Suffer not the little children to come unto me. When my grandson comes into the house and he runs to me and he opens his arms for his grandpa to pick him up, there is nothing in the world that I wouldn't do for that little boy at that moment. I mean, it's just... I can't describe it. My son is an adult now. A few years ago, he was involved in a traffic accident. And he got out, and the first thing he was was, Dad, I was in an accident. What do I do? I need you. In that moment again, there wasn't anything that I wouldn't do for my son because he needed me. Those are good things to think come on. Your relationships with other, with your family, with the body of Christ. Other good things that are going on. I mean, you know, being able to contribute to a good cause. Just some little act like that can cause joy to come into your life. Because he tells us that we need to meditate on things that are praiseworthy. Things that are of virtue. That we need to be in prayer for it at always. Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and let your request be known to God. I believe that joy as an expression is coming to the church. I believe and I've been praying for resolution. And I don't know what resolution may mean for each and every individual situation, but I'm praying for joy in each of those resolutions. That even if it is a breakthrough to see that I can't control the situation, God, I'm going to have to give it all to you, may be the resolution of that. But I believe the joy is coming to this body. And with that, I just want to read this again to you. To rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. There is marvelous medicinal power in joy. What a great God we serve that He's going to give us an antidote, but He's not going to make it distasteful. There is marvelous medicinal power in joy. Most medicines are distasteful, but this, which is the best of all medicines, is sweet to the taste and comforting to the heart. May the Lord bless all of you. Thank you.